0: Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly Women's Agenda podcast. On today's episode, we will be discussing the Barbie snub, some new research regarding pregnancies during climate disasters, as well as the morning routines of successful business people. We figure out how the rest of us are doing it all wrong. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 25th of January. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm joining you from Gadigal land. Today I am joined by Women's Agenda journalist and The Crux producer, Olivia Clill. Hello, Olivia. How are you? Hey, Ange. I'm well. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. So as usual, we do like to start with a win from the week. What was your win?
1: So my win was the Victorian government's announcement that it is launching an inquiry into women's pain and experiences within the healthcare system. It's part of their efforts to drive solutions to systemic issues facing women's health, which I know we can all relate to. Um, I'm sure many women, in fact, most women have experienced pain in one form or another. I think an inquiry into this is much needed. A recent survey just in Victoria alone found four in 10 women lived with chronic pain. One in three women said their health conditions affect their ability to work and keep a job. And we know pain comes in forms, including pain in relation to periods, menstrual cycle, uh, pregnancy, birth, postnatal care, endometriosis, perimenopause, menopause, the list goes on. And I think that it's really exciting to see this initiative driven by uh, Premier Jacinda Allen, who herself suffers from endometriosis and speaks quite openly about that. I think that it's definitely really exciting to see this in Victoria. And I just hope that it happens in other parts of the country as well.
0: Yeah, I do too. I thought that this was such a massive development. We're publishing women's health news, as you know, but I do encourage people to go check it out and see that we do a weekly newsletter there that's all about women's health. And I I actually wrote a week ago about uh, this year being a transformative year for women's health. I just felt like we are seeing a lot of momentum around, like you say, issues like um, endometriosis, around menopause around, you know, things like heavy periods and pelvic pain. And we're just seeing a lot more in terms of more awareness of some of these things, but also Mm. campaigns and funding for research and startups that are looking to support women and also workplaces that are looking to do more. And I just, I saw this come out of Victoria and I just thought, Uh, Yes, like I didn't expect a win like this so soon. And I think also, you know, just having a female Premier, it just kind of shows, I guess, maybe what women in leadership can also bring for women in their state. So great to see Premier Jacinta Allen launching that Uh, So my win today, as if anyone, we are recording this on Thursday the twenty fifth, and is you know if you're picking up a newspaper today, or looking at any online news site, you'll probably see all the things about Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Everyone in overdrive, looking for how they can use the word liar and backflip and promise broken, anything kind of smart they can bring into the headline. So (laughs) I just I'm watching all this quite amused from the sidelines because I just think the fact that Anthony Albanese has done a backflip, which I'm using in uh, speech marks on the stage three tax cuts (laughs) is actually a massive win for women. Um, And it's a good thing, you know, leaving politics aside. And I, you know, this is going to make things difficult for Albanese. We're already seeing the News Corp papers, particularly going into attack mode. They probably had already written many of these stories prior to this happening, but reforming these tax cuts. I mean, it just absolutely needs to happen, you know, in their current form those earning under $45,000 a year we're going to get nothing from these tax cuts but those earning $200,000 a year we're going to receive a tax reduction of something like you know $9,000 so $9,000 if you're at 200,000 compared to $125 for those on 50,000 we know that women are overrepresented amongst those earning under 45,000 including amongst those <laughs> earning you know under 130,000 as well and including single mothers and the i mean the data was just saying that you know for every $2 that men were going to get from these tax cuts women were going to get $1 that mm. you know men would take 67% of the savings from the cuts compared to 33% for women so i mean it just it wasn't a great thing for the gender gap or for looking at women's economic empowerment or supporting the superannuation and retirement savings of women. It wasn't going to help. It was just going to make those gaps wider. And what we're sort of seeing from the reform package, we're yet to learn more, is that instead what Albanese is looking to do is actually to give everyone under $200,000 a tax cut, which seems like a good thing to me but will certainly be a good thing for women.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you've <laughs> written a lot about this, and and you kind of lost me in all the numbers there, but I think that it's going to be a great yeah. win for women,
0: for sure. Well, yeah. Let's just say like some of, you know, if, if you're earning over $200,000, yeah, you might be, uh, yeah. you're not going to have as much, you know, that's, that's how mm-hmm. it is. But the the reality is that the cost of living is hitting people earning you know less than that and often far less than that way more and we need to do something to be able to offer some relief there and this will help and i think like we've got to look to those I, I always kind of think about um, sole parent-headed households especially where the vast majority are headed up by women and are very much overrepresented when you look at families you know living or potentially at risk of poverty as well and so things like this will make a difference So on to our three stories for the day so the first of which, Again, if you've been picking up newspapers today or on any online news site, including our own, you might be thinking about Barbie and what happened with Barbie and the Oscars nominations. So Ryan Gosling received an Oscars nomination for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Barbie, but director Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Best Director and the movie's heroine, Margot Robbie, who plays Barbie, she also missed out on a Best Actress in a Leading Role nomination. Ryan Gosling has since issued a statement saying there is no Ken without Barbie and there is no Barbie without Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, the two people most responsible for this history making globally celebrated film and it was certainly history making. No recognition would be possible for anyone on the film without their talent, grit, and genius. To say that I'm disappointed that they are not nominated in their respective categories would be an understatement. First of all, everyone, let's be more like Ryan Gosling. That's a great statement. Good to see. <laughs> and uh, what happened, Liv? Why, how are people feeling about this? Why has it made people so upset? Like, what if you just didn't like Barbie that much, and you were on the panel of the Oscars nominations people, and you just weren't that into it. As I was, how can you not sorry. be into it
1: though? Oh my god, it was such <laughs> it was such an incredible film. I mean, in my opinion, uh, and I know that a lot of people share this opinion. I do know that too. Yes, <laughs> the Barbie mania that took over before the film, during the film, after the film was unlike anything that we've really ever seen before. So in that respect, it was so worthy of a nomination. I think that, well, first of all, I think Ryan Gosling certainly deserved his nomination because he was hilarious. He was the one that was leaving me in stitches in that film. I think that Greta Gerwig not receiving a nomination was the biggest snub because you know making a billion dollars in the box office and then not being recognized for best director i don't know i think that she was
0: overlooked there well basically if you're a woman you don't really get to get recognized for the best no. director yes. no okay. way <laughs> yeah but saying that there was a lot of diversity in the nominations which um our team yeah. has also pointed out so mm.
1: yeah and i did wanted to t- i did want to mention that because i think that in like i think the biggest overlook here is america ferrera who was mm. actually nominated but isn't making headlines as much as the white women are. Do you know what I mean? And I think um, she did an interview with Variety, America Ferreira, about her nomination. And one of the questions was, oh, how do you feel about Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig not Mm. receiving a nomination? So all of a sudden, probably the biggest achievement of her life thus far is being made about someone else. And I think that is probably, yeah, the the biggest oversight out of this whole thing because mm. she was incredible in that movie as well. Her monologue, talking about how impossible it is to be a woman. And I know that Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig being overlooked for these nominations, you know, it, it essentially is the plot of Barbie when Ken, when Ryan Gosling is the one getting nominated.
0: Mm. But...
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's just, that is how I'm feeling about this whole thing. Yeah,
0: I think that's a good point. I guess the Australian media's point of view, I guess we would immediately look to Margot Robbie, but it is true also that, um, yeah, potentially the so-called or alleged snubbing is overlooking actually the other, you know, (laughs) other individuals nominated, not just from this movie, but also across the other categories as well, Mm -hmm. um, who are, you know, worthy to. And the other thing is that um, the popularity, I guess, and how much a film makes certainly doesn't automatically, you know, mean it's Oscar worthy as well. And we've, I yeah. guess, seen that a lot in the past too. So there is that. Um, I know that Jessie is following up again. We've, we've already done a couple of stories on this because it was just moving so fast and there's so many great quotes and things also that come out of it, including mm. memes. But we're looking at, you know, Whoopi Goldberg's comments on this today and she just made the point that, you know, not everyone gets a prize and <laughs> That's and true. I just I just had a little laugh about that, but uh, I don't know if she didn't enjoy the movie or not, but uh, yeah, she's, I guess, saying it like it is. But I definitely would like to see more women nominated in that director category because we've only seen a handful mm. of women win that category in the history of the Oscars. There's many, many years that go by without women being nominated in that category also. And we really need, and what this definitely showed is we need to inspire more women to be making Movies and as we, you know, Greta Gorg is perfect example is when you do, make a movie that might relate to some of your experiences, um, you can actually generate a lot of business in the process, not just for your own production company and those that you you know immediately are working with, but also around as we saw cinemas, we saw uptick in spending as Barbie came out as well, so it's been hugely consequential too. It's important to support women in, in sharing stories that other women and girls may actually appreciate and want to get into. So on to a very different story. I'll let you introduce this one. Yeah, sure. So this
1: is a very different story. New research from the University of Newcastle has found that there was a significant uptick in unplanned pregnancies during the February 2022 floods in northern New South Wales. The researchers found... Because emergency centres did not consider the safety of women and children, women in the Northern Rivers were subjected to high levels of violence and sexual assaults, resulting in unplanned pregnancies. I spoke with the head of policy and research at MSI Australia, Bonnie Corbin, who had some really, really interesting insights. I loved speaking with her. She said because of a loss of routine and the nature of emergencies, some women just won't keep track of their cycles and might not know they're pregnant sometimes until the nine-week gestation point. And another thing, women who are victim survivors of sexual assault who fall pregnant As a result of the rape might disassociate and therefore delay any decision-making about an unplanned pregnancy. And we know climate-related disasters are becoming all the more common these days. What did you think about this research? Does it concern you?
0: Yes, I mean, of course the research concerns me, but I feel it's a really positive thing that we actually have this research because when we first launched our climate load report a year ago, we're looking at doing an updated version of that in the coming weeks. But when we first launched that report, the, you know, there was some research, but it felt like that there wasn't really enough. Um, that we weren't really seeing enough of what is happening in Australia during and after disasters, and how it's affecting women and girls. And we do see some of that research internationally, but we really needed to see it locally because there was anecdotal evidence. And there are some studies, but it feels like now we are actually seeing to see a lot more research, things like this one, really great research, but also, you know, research around how heat impacts women differently to men, seeing research around how smoke inhalation impacts pregnant women, and we just need a lot more of it. And I think when you get research like this, what we can do with it and what we should do with it, what I hope will happen with it is that it can really say, well, you know, when a disaster happens, this is what we know is the result. So we need to put things in place to make sure that we can prevent against this. So we need more, um, whether it's to really up the access to such services during and after disasters, whether it's around anticipating that there will be an uptick in domestic and family violence and therefore to ensure that the services have the capacity to deal with it. All these sorts of things are so important to make sure that, you know, we can really support women. And I think- One of the things we also learned last year in the climate load report is that you get the immediate disaster and everyone looks at that area and everyone looks for the heroes and things like that during that disaster, which is fair enough because we want to find those big positive survival stories. But then the media moves on and we don't think about what it means to be there in the three months afterwards, the six months afterwards, the one to two years afterwards. We don't think about that recovery effort that goes in and the continued stress that people go through during those times, particularly if they are trying to rebuild or if they do need to move back in with an abuser or something because they don't have anywhere to live. So I just think that it's such a positive to have this research and, you know, massive, massive congrats to the University of Newcastle for this and also to hear from Bonnie Corbin as well. And, you know, I know that they do really great stuff too. So yeah. I find some positives. I just hope we can turn this into something that can support more women as the current and the next disasters roll around.
1: Definitely, and we know that those disasters are imminent, and not just in Australia but in the hardest hit places in the world for climate change, for war and conflict. We know that unplanned pregnancies and sexual assault and rape occur more during times of crises. Mm-hmm. One of the statistics that I found in writing this report was in a United Nations Population Fund report in 2022 predicted that in Afghanistan alone by 2025, which is next year, there will be an estimated 4.8 million unintended pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And that is really scary for women and girls who don't have the resources, the education, the healthcare that we are lucky enough to have in Australia. It's concerning and we know these crises are on the horizon. Yeah, who knows where that number will be in other parts of the world as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, so one final point there is that Mm. one of the biggest things we can do globally in terms of climate action is to get more girls educated. Unfortunately, what happens with climate crisis like in any crisis and disaster is that one of the you know as well as you know women's safety and girls' safety and things like that is that girls' education can be put on the back burner it can be they can be forced to leave school they can be forced to have to work for their family um, especially you know even during cost of living issues and things like that. so that's one of the first things that suffers during a disaster is girls' education, but it, it is also a key in terms of addressing climate change so again i think it's all related but just to make sure that we've always got our our fingers on the pulse of this making sure that we're not going backwards because we are often going backwards we like to think that we're on this forward trajectory of progress when it comes to girls education but that's not the case but to make sure that we are still supporting the education of girls and also to make sure that we are really looking at these impacts of climate related disasters and any disasters on women's reproductive rights on women's ability to access the services and care that they need and also of course on on women's safety. Um, Another thing that is so essential and I hope might come out of this report but should certainly that we've certainly seen internationally and I've seen this with some of the work I do with ActionAid is how women's leadership during and after a crisis just makes such a big difference to the outcomes of those communities so again we need to support those things too. shall we move on to our final story? We should. And we've just gone with three completely different stories (laughs) here. And and I'm also looking at the order of our stories as well. I was like, wow, we went to Barbie, we went to climate change. And now (laughs) we're going to ice baths and saunas and men and their morning routines. And I love it, but I'll I'll leave. This is hilarious.
1: Yes. I loved your story. So it's the end of January, which makes it prime time for publications to be sharing the morning and wellness routines of successful business people. And you shared your take on morning routines this week, highlighting how they've evolved over the past few years, but also expressing some surprise at some of the features that are now coming into these morning routines, including ice baths and even at least one businessman saying that a 7am business meetings in a sauna are becoming a thing.
0: (laughs) Respectfully, I don't want to do this. Is it not your thing? Is it not the next team building exercise to, we don't have to be 7am, it could be 2pm, I don't know, it's just kind of weird. (laughs) I just, I don't know how you would
1: feel about seeing me sweating like a pig (laughs) while we're discussing business or the news. I just, it's not sitting well with me, I don't want it.
0: (laughs) Not for you. Okay. And I suspect no. I won't be asked on any business meetings in saunas uh, now that I've sort of written this piece either. So that is a sad <laughs> development in my career. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So like, I, I love reading about morning routines and it's always this like random curiosity of what is this? Is it real? Like how much are you making this up? But also like you see how it changes over the years where it, they get more and more elaborate, or like more and more things comes in, or various like elements of bro science is driving. I feel like, you
1: know? I feel like it gets earlier and earlier as well. Like, what, once was well, 7 a.m.? So is now many, 4 many more 30 things a.m.? to
0: fit in. Like, you've got to fit so much <laughs> stuff in. Like, that's, yeah. I was like, I don't know that having like a two hour morning routine could be that much more beneficial than maybe having a half hour morning routine and getting 90 minutes more sleep. Like that could mm-hmm. be a mm-hmm. benefit to you. But um, yeah, so I, I guess I feel like in recent years, like, sometimes you see it getting toned back because people have more self-awareness about the fact that, you know, oh, someone reading this or, you know, whoever I'm sharing this might have caring responsibilities and other things that are going on in their mornings. And like, maybe I don't need to say that I hang from a pull-up bar for six minutes and then I journal and then I do a ter- you know, a ceremony ceremonial team-making <laughs> thing before doing some yoga and looking at the sunrise at the certain point. For the day to make sure that I capture whatever the light thing is that is like apparently really great for you at that time. Cool. So, you know, some of there's more self awareness. And so I read all these profiles and there's been a lot. And most of them were from the Australian Financial Review. I think it was January and they're running like a series of like Breakfast with the Boss. And so you can go in and kind of have a little look at some of those. And, you know, one, a good development is that I'm seeing more businessmen talking about their responsibilities, like, you know, oh, yeah, I take mm. the toddler for a walk or there was one guy who was like, I cook breakfast for the whole family except myself because mm. I fast for 17 hours. <laughs> oh, my God. So, just... Then there's another one. This level of indulgence was just wild. But this (laughs) this entrepreneur, I don't think, there's no mention of, uh, maybe he has kids, a partner, I don't know. Like I don't know what age he is. But anyway, he described how he wakes at 4.30, goes direct from his bed (laughs) to his ice bath, which is set at three degrees. Oh, my God. So that means he owns this ice bath situation thing that's going on in his, wherever he lives. And he says, because, quote, if I can't handle the cold water, then how will I handle the stress of the day? End quote. Which I just loved because I was like, Coffee. <laughs> "Imagine if everyone was like, I need to do you know all this indulgence to be able to deal with like the stress of going to work every day." And I just kind of I, again, yeah. I was going back to the single mother who you know is probably going to to work somewhere, likely for yeah. earning a lot less than this guy, and is dealing with kids and all their stuff and everything else going on. Anyway. Yes. And then, but his routine continued. He then goes to a personal train at an executive gym, which I assume is more expensive than, yeah. Does you know. that exist? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it does. There's one in the CBD. Go and type it in if it's for you. Um, he eats breakfast from his personal nutritionist, also a service you can go and check out. He goes to work and then he finishes his day with a 30 minute meditation session in his own personal infrared sauna. <laughs> what? And he told. <laughs> I know. He told the AFR that he spends around $50,000 on his health every year. So I hope he's, I mean, I assume he's super productive out of all this. Like obviously, Yeah. yeah, he needs that. He needs it. Um, anyway, so where do they get with the ice bath? This is a different one from another executive of an Australian company who talked about the fact that, you know, he takes his kid for a walk, um, then he goes for a run, and then, then he likes to do, go to do an ice bath or a sauna. He didn't own these things, which was a plus as well. Like he goes somewhere for it. And then he kind of casually dropped in that <laughs> often he does business meetings around 7 a.m. in these saunas or at an ice bath or wherever, which that... Was I, I was just stumped. I did not know that this was a thing. Wild. <laughs> and, <God. laughs> and when it ever became a thing, or why, or. Uh, I just and then I was like there are so many problems with this (laughs) anyway so I go into this it's a very light piece but also that you know in my very basic research around saunas and business meetings you know in Finland like there's all the benefits of saunas I actually do think saunas have some great benefits and Jessie was actually from our team she was talking to me about her experience recently in Japan about how she really enjoyed the saunas as well and they were single sex and I don't think she had any business meetings in them (laughs) but so there are lots of positives and it can be a social thing and that's great but I was just yeah, I don't don't think I'm down with the, the business meeting thing.
1: No, it's, I just, I, I think there are so many better places to do a business meeting where everyone is comfortable. I just don't really know that many. I, I, I mean, I'm obviously rubbing shoulders with a completely different crowd, <laughs> but I don't know many people that go to saunas ever. I don't, I've never stepped foot in a sauna. It doesn't interest me at all. <laughs> But I just, yeah, I I just don't know how inclusive that is. And yeah, as you've written about, it's like.
0: Yeah, it's not so inclusive. And there's actually, if you do like a search of it, you will find, it's interesting in in like Scandinavia where obviously saunas are are used. I read a stat recently, I think it was in Finland, where there's like two saunas for every person. Like there's just saunas everywhere. Like they, you know, people have them in their homes or just everywhere. But there was a a story, it was just before COVID, because I also think that obviously the pandemic would have, quickly you know put an end to any emerging trend around business meetings and sorters because you couldn't get a a more transmissive sort of space oh think, than a sorter but yeah. uh it talked about like the startups women in entrepreneurial world and the startup community there who were like really calling for like conference organizers to end sort of having like saunas and you know incorporating that kind of stuff into their conferences and events saying that like we need to put an end to this until we get to any kind of gender parity in tech or like in terms of Mm. the investments going through to women so yeah we we shall see but in the meantime Liv we won't organize any team building sauna slash ice bath activities. Thank you because now you know how I feel about it and do you have a morning routine? i do, I don't know if I'd call it a routine. It's not like it's like it is like a wake up, scroll social media. Um, yeah. I, try, I try to listen to something uh, like a podcast just yeah. to kind of get me moving and doing a bit of stuff. I do get up super early. I am one of those people. I usually go for a run or something or to the gym. But in saying all this, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing. Like I would rather be doing this at different times, but my current way and how things are working for me at the moment means that I do need to get up early to get that time. And I'd like to be at a point where that's not necessary. And so I don't really like this idea of like, hey, this is how I do it. Everyone else should emulate that. Because I also know that I work better in the morning. So I like to try and be ready for working early. I struggle to work late at night. But I also know other people work really well at night. And so do that. Do that what works for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. My morning routine. So I'll wake up and scroll on socials, might listen to the radio I'll have my Vegemite toast, I'll have my coffee and sit on the lounge with my housemates We'll like while we're all having our coffee, getting ready for work, have an interesting conversation about one thing or another, and then I'll sit at my computer and get
0: started for the day. I think that is one of the best ones I've ever heard. So <laughs> I love it. I love no, the idea honest, of what? people having a social conversation yeah as the start to their day like and you know maybe it happens in your your shared apartment maybe it's like at Mm -hmm. a cafe where you get a coffee or Mm -hmm. i just think that is lovely and to nurture that and especially when so many people are working from home and that Mm -hmm. you can have that little touch point each morning instead of just kind of going direct to into into work yeah 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 so i I might say like when i recorded this and we recorded this we started at like nine and I'd already done a couple of hours work and done my morning stuff. And so I've had, I've been at it for a few hours by now. You were the first person that I've had a proper conversation with. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we didn't have our morning news meeting. And so that's, that's what can happen. I think is if you get too caught up in your stuff each morning, then yeah. you end up not having those important conversations early.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky with my situation at the moment, I do have an opportunity to to nurture my social interactions with my friends and my housemates and, yeah, it's like I'm able to do that so I'm very lucky,
0: yeah. I think that's it for the crux. So morning routines, please feel free to share them. I might say that we on Women's Agenda also do share a little bit of this stuff from people that we interview because we like to share it in our health profiles and look at how women are approaching their own wellness, which we find interesting. So please do get in contact if you'd like to share yours. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Uh, You can catch up on all these stories on womensagenda.com.au where you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter. And thank you, Lib, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Love coming on here. First for the year, we'll have you back definitely. And thank you for listening.